Um, today's scripture comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, and 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Peter, chapter 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. First Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. When part 13 seems appropriate, that it's part 13, um, because we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. It's a big, big passage. It's a very justly famous passage, and, but it's actually a very often misunderstood passage. And it is about holiness, okay? That's what you've been learning throughout this whole series, that really what it means to be most deeply human is to be like God in His holiness. And what I've really been asking you to seek is that holiness is truly divine love. That's why we're going to close out this series today with a message about divine love out of this really, really tremendously important passage. And so, let's get into it, okay? Part one, holy love over gifts and achievements. Holy love over gifts and achievements. Part two, true love is holy agape. You might not know what that word means, agape. I'll tell you in just a sec. It just means love, but we'll get into that. True love is holy agape. And part three, the beautiful face to face forever. Many of you don't know this, but you're looking for a face in your life. Part three, the beautiful face to face forever. So um, I, I, I want to start just by connecting this dot. We started off this series with 1 Peter chapter 1. And it goes like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what do you get from Jesus Christ from the dead? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And I've pointed to you that what this is, is this is a short-term way of saying this is what holiness is. And we, took, we went on this journey from this 1 Peter 1 passage. Later in this, just a few verses later, there's a command. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And we took on this journey that says that holiness is not primarily about being cleaned up or about religion. It absolutely is about character, but it's about a character that is involved in a certain kind of activity, and that activity is love, and not just any kind of love, love the way God does it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to close this series by looking at this most incredible passage so many people look at this passage, it's about love, you go to a wedding, people love to, like, you know, I've gone to lots of weddings, and, and I've gone to some weddings that aren't even Christian, 
And then they read this because they're looking for something profound. And of course, it's profound. And then they give an utterly super slurpy message that's fully sentimental, which has nothing to do with this passage. What this passage is talking about is God's kind of love, which is another way of saying this passage is really a picture. It's a picture-perfect vision and definition of what holiness looks like, okay? Now, I want to just start off here. Um, this first few verses says something that most people go, it sounds really nice, and it's got like, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love. Now listen to this next part. I am nothing. That's what it says. Nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It's like I profit nothing. There's nothing, there's something you don't gain out of, you, you know what you get from it? It's nothing. It's a really, it's a really powerful um, set of, of claims. And I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that? Our society, and including, I think, the Christians in our society, let me, let me offer to you, we do not believe this. In our society, you know what we regularly think, and especially in a city like ours, we believe in the gifts. He's listening to this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Now, let me just, just stop for a moment. Let's just say, okay, even if you're not religious, you don't, you're not sure if you believe in Jesus, don't you wish you can talk? In, in, in of, of, the, of men, in other words, you wish you could speak the best of the way human beings can speak. I mean, I wish, I just started this app called Duolingo, and, and apparently you can spend 10 minutes a day, and after a certain while you can speak, you know, very, I, I'm choosing Spanish, okay? So right away, if I speak in the tongues of Spanish men, <laughs> I, I want that, right? But then it goes on, if I can speak in the tongues of angels, something supernatural, something far above. So if you, let's just say, you know, believe in God, but just something even, you know, from a secular point of view, let's just say that you, you'll take that in some kind of like metaphorical way. I can speak like in such a high way that people consider me like talking like an angel. Do you want something like that in your life? And I'll bet you, you do. You know, our, our society is all about gifts and accomplishments and powers. This is all about a power. And so when you're growing up, everybody's looking for something that says it's going to give me worth. So, you, you know, if, you're, if your parents are kind of like the go, 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 hard-charging parents of Silicon Valley, they may have put you in, in, like, martial arts, or they may have put you in coding class, or they may have given you, like, a, a music lessons or something like this. Um, I, I, I knew a, a sister in the Lord who, when her children were, like, four years old, I, I didn't even know this existed, put the, her, um, her daughter into abacus lessons, Okay, like you learn how to like click, 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 and like you can just do math in your head, like boom, just like that. That's just so Silicon Valley, and um, that's what we're looking for. And as your ch kids grow up, what you're looking is like, okay, are you good at music? Can you sing? Are you really, really good and smart in school? Are you super fast? You know, we're in the middle of the Olympics. And some of the, the people who are going to get the medals today when they were four or seven or ten or twelve, they were told that you can run like an angel, okay? That's what they were sold. But here's what this passage says. If you can run like an angel, but you don't have love, you're nothing. That's what it says, nothing. Let me put it a little bit differently. This passage is even more intense than that. So it is absolutely a critique of, uh, of talents. This, is, this was written to the Corinthian church. And I don't know if you know this, the Corinthian church is just like Silicon Valley. The Corinthian, the city of Corinth, it's a global port. The smartest folks around the, uh, of, the, of the global empire would pass through this city. 
you know, you have this thing, Corinthian leather. You've heard, the, like, you know, where, why do you get Corinthian leather? Well, in Corinth, that's where you get it because the people who have that great skill, they, they make the super expensive stuff and it gets poured out to the world. That's the kind of city it is. So this really does speak to our kind of people, but it's actually even more intense because he's not just talking about like worldly gifts and talents. He's talking about like even spiritual and supernatural abilities. If you have faith, if you have spiritual gifts, if you have spiritual accomplishments, so you have faith. And so I don't know if, if, you, don't, if you didn't grow up going to church, there's a place in the Bible where Jesus says if you have faith, you know, like a, you can, if you have a certain kind of faith, just even like a small faith like a mustard, so you can tell that mountain to move from here to there. That's what this is a reference to. So if you have this kind of faith and you can make a gigantic mountain move, now, you know, like, wouldn't that be an unbelievable thing? Um, even inside of Christian circles today, we, we, uh, we, honor, we honor pastors and church leaders. They start a church with a dream, and then somehow, over the years, the church just gets big, and, like, it just miraculously meets you know, really hurting poor people. There's unbelievable things that happen. People that were suicidal, People that were of different races and skin colors that hated each other, they find tremendous forgiveness. These are the stories that flow out. I mean, it's like mountains have moved, and when we hear these stories, we, like, those are unbelievable spiritual accomplishments. And we praise and honor and glorify the leaders and the churches that were able to do these kinds of things. But you know what this passage says? But if you don't have love, you have nothing. Nothing. Um, I, I, I was like, man, is this just kind of hyperbolic? I, went in, I looked at the Greek on the passage just to really make sure. There are no tricks in this Greek passage. It, this is really well translated. I'm nothing. It, it, I want to just say a little something about our times today, too. That's, there's so many, I think, uh, people who you, you, we walk into the church and you want to have like spiritual experiences. And so many times, what we, you know, we honor, especially in the 21st century church, we honor the people who seem the most dedicated. Um, you know, we have the, the, the Christian celebrities today are like the pastors that pack the house down. Or they write these best-selling books. Or, or um, sometimes, you know, they're kind of hip, and so, like, you know, people, they get this great following. Or they have, they have a band in their church, and that band has a following like a rock, like, like rock stars. And you know what? But then just a few years later, you kind of found out that there's moral failure. There's corruption inside these circles. And then you start finding out about the character of some of these leaders, and you find out that they don't seem very humble. They don't seem really loving. And their great purposes are far from this holy love. And you know what? I think then they fall down. Everything crumbles and falls apart. And you know what I think that what we're finding out? That this passage is not just an opinion. That it's very, very real. That what we thought was so wonderful because if all of our success idolatry and the stuff that we love the big and the flashy and the good looking and it's, and it's just everybody adores and it's super popular. It makes a lot of money. And yet... It's, I, don't think, I don't think God respects any of it because if it is without love, it's nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing. Now, I'll just stop for a moment. One of the reasons I, I, um, I wanted to do this series is because there are lots of churches that rise up. Some of them get big and they blow up and some of them don't, but I don't want us to be just another church that wants to get popular or get big or to, get po uh, or to make a lot of money or anything like that. What I would like Revive to be is a church that Jesus doesn't say, well, they're nothing. Where Jesus says, that church, they may not be the biggest or they may not be the coolest or they may not be the most famous or they may not have the most money, but that church is filled with my holiness. Those people, they, they hunger and they chase 
after love that only can come through the resurrection of Jesus. That which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. They seek after holiness. That's, what I, that's my longing of our church. And I hope that that's what you will want too. Not just in theory, but that you will say, I want to be one of those people that helps make our church that way. And you know, this is such an unbelievably profound message that people need so much today. We're living in a time when the boasts of the world are so intense. It's even, I would even say, like, it's, it's of, of uh, we, there are, there's the spiritual boasts and the spiritual accomplishments and gifts and talents that people desire inside of the church. But there is a kind of secular religious boast that's also going on in our times. So there are people today, they say, I'm, I'm for justice. I'm strong for justice. And when you go listen to them, I, w- I just want to just, I'm not asking you to like take a side or to make some kind of political judgment, but I just want to ask you this question. Ask this question, do they love people? Do they love people? And a lot of the messages of the people today are, justice, justice. I, I, don't, I don't hear love. I hear what they're against. I hear who they condemn. I hear who they hate. But I don't see, like, will you sacrifice to love? What will you do to show people who are really hurting, will you go into their lives to love, or would you rather go and protest and show how great you are so that you can have an accomplishment of some kind of spiritual or religious, but I know it's secular, but it's religious, of a religious accomplishment and boast. But if it is without love, whether it is a secular kind of accomplishment or whether it's a spiritual kind of accomplishment or whether it's just a worldly kind of gift, you know what the Bible says? It's nothing. That we are nothing. And whatever kind of people that we will be here at Revived Church in a tremendously, like, a city that's filled with money and 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 fame and power and that's what all the things that people want gifts and accomplishments and talents i hope we will say no even though the world may not esteem it may we be a people that will say we we will we refuse to be nothing we want to be what god deems not just something but truly worthy that is we will seek the imperishable the undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for us through jesus Let's go to part two. I want to talk about this next portion. And um, I know this sounds so nice. It's so not nice, okay? And I want you to hear this for a second. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And I want to just ask for a second. We have all these feelings and good intentions of people, even people that we love. But let me ask you, do you love them this way? Does it look like this? (laughs) To your wife, are you regularly rude, irritated, resentful? (laughs) Are you patient toward your husband, to your boyfriend? Are you kind? Do you have a friend and you're supposed to love your friend, but really, a lot of the times, if they do, they get a, uh, they get a little, that extra promotion or they get that better school or she gets that nicer dress and then it's like it's envy time. And that is just so utterly normal, is it not? And we need a better love than that. But it gets actually... Deeper, verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. There's actually this question, like our society thinks like truth, nobody knows what truth is, but if we just have good feelings and intentions toward each other, isn't that all that matters? No. No. How can you rejoice in the truth if you don't even know what it is? But here's where I really want us to get into this, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 
Let me say that again. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And I think if you read that verse, that, that, that set of attributes about what love is, there's only one person who loves like that, and that's God. Only God loves like that. Only God loves with an absolute purity. And it, he always hopes all things and believes all things. Um, you ever meet a person, you know, we all, you know, <laughs> we, we want to meet somebody and know somebody. And when they get to know you, they believe in you. Always. Always. They hope in you. Always. The, 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 that passage, love never ends, that, 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 that set of verses, that, that set of words in Greek, it can actually translate as love never fails. It doesn't stop. It doesn't fail. And, you know, we have this, this, this hope that this, uh, that, that, that is the kind of love that we'll have, but that's not what we have in this life. But in Christ, that is actually possible. Now, I want to give you this illustration. I was um, talking to a young man whom I love this week. We're having a pretty deep conversation. And, um, you know, he loves his girlfriend. He's getting pretty serious about this, this relationship. And we're talking about marriage. As we talk about marriage, we're talking about, I, I, I started quoting out of this book. Uh, it's a famous book that some of you might have heard of. It's C.S. Lewis. He wrote this book called Four Loves. And the four loves, he describes four types of loves. The, the, the lowest is affection, like, you know, like your dog can love you. <laughs> That's affection, right? Um, but then he gets into the higher. There's phileo. And phileo is love between friends. And the way he describes love between friends is friends don't tend to stare into each other's faces. What they do is they look at the same glory. They see this thing too. It's like, you like the Dallas Cowboys too? Oh, so do I. Oh, you know, like, you like jazz music too? Oh, so do I, you know? Like, it's, this is like you, people see the same glory and you come alongside together and you enjoy and you walk together. That's how he, that's how he describes this love and, and uh, the old Greek word for it is phileo. But the one that we often tend to think about when we're thinking about love in our culture is, is what he calls eros, we might think of it as sexual love or um, romantic love, right? And the way Lewis described it is that, that those who have eros, what they do is they stare into each other's faces and they want to see and really fully know the other person into their glory. And then, so that's eros. And it's like this powerful, you know, they want to like become one. Eros love or sexual love or romantic love. Well, what I was saying to um, this young man is actually, we are all, you know, like today when you're looking for somebody, you know, you a mate, a mate. So if you're, if you're single, like you're, you're probably, you're, you're looking for someone, that hot person that will, you're like, that's the, ero, yep, Eros love, that's the one I want, right? And so the person is just the right good looking, the right height, the right shape, and just gives you all the flutters and all the right ways. And what you want is you want like this, this super-duper eros love. Well, one of the points I was trying to make is, actually in marriage, it's actually phileo love. That's actually the main thing. That you walk together, together, and then sometimes you gaze at each other. You practice phileo, and eros love is actually kind of like, if the main dish is phileo love, the side dish is actually eros love. And today, everybody always wants to make that the main thing, and a lot of times, you're not even good friends with your spouse. That's what I see in so many couples. So just a little bit of, like, marriage advice, okay? If you're married already, try to become best friends with your spouse, please. And if you're not good at it, that's got to grow. Grow that phileo love. Grow that phileo love. And I'm not saying it because we're good at it. My wife and I, we're actually not really good at it. We're not. We have so many things not in common except, like, uh, like Jesus, and we like certain foods together, and, and we love our kids, and 
don't have much else to talk, okay? <laughs> right? That's kind of like what my wife and I are like. But so as you as you as you in your marriage life, what's gonna happen is this. You're going, there's gonna be times where your phileo, your friendship love, will rise, and then your eros love will dip. Or especially for those of you who are at the beginning who are young, you're you're gonna be all inflamed with eros love. But then your phileo love will dip. But then as you get into the marriage, if the person isn't a very good friend, guess what? This part is going to go down, okay? It's like a, like a good sex life. It starts like doing, by doing the dishes, guys, right? It's like that. It's by laughing at the same jokes inside the movies. It's kind of strange how it's like that. And so you get, if the phileo love is not going up, then the eros love is dying. But the fourth love that Lewis says is agape love. Now, some, my, um, my Greek professor, when I was in seminary, said, oh, people make so much, you know, they love that book by C.S. Lewis. They make all this distinction between phileo, eros. You know, like, love is agape love. I don't know if it's so much like a different kind of, but let me say this to you. In the Bible, whenever they use the word of this, in this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. So, here's how it's said. Love is patient and kind. It says, agape is patient and kind. Agape does not envy or boast. Agape bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so, just, you don't have to be a Christian to know, hello, we better get some phileo in our marriage, and we better get some eros in our marriage, and it would even be good to have a lot of affection in your marriage. So even just something as basic as we'll just hold hands, even though it's not sexual. It's different. But do you have a love in your relationships like this? Love bears all things, believes all things. So your husband goes through like a really stressful period at work and his boss is really dumping on him. And he won't admit it to you, but he thinks he's going to get fired at the next layoff. And he's super feeling like, I'm a failure. Because if I get fired, we're going to lose our house. And my wife is not going to respect me and look up to me. And then, this is on his mind, but he won't admit it because he's too insecure. And then for about six months, his phileo, his friendship love just tanks. It just tanks. And then because he's a terrible friend, guess what? The Eros love tanks too. And then at the beginning, it just is rough. But then three months in, five months in, now like things that wouldn't have caused a fight six months ago, easy, simple things, just like just devolve quickly into fights. And you would not have thought this, but now, like seven or eight months later, your marriage, you actually, like the D word pops into your head. But how would it be possible if instead, when he starts to just flail down, his wife says, I believe you. I believe us. I believe all things. Our love will not stop. It will not end. And if you fail, and if you're being a bad friend, you're being a bad lover, you're being a bad worker, you're being a bad dad, I can forgive you. I can bear this. Agape bears all things, endures all things, and we'll get it. We'll, we'll get through. And this love will not end. You know what we're talking about here? We're talking about God's kind of love. Well, let me put it another way. We're talking about holiness. That's what we're talking about. I just came back from Native American Reservation. And I can't give you like too much in the way of specifics. 
the, the beginning, this is where, it's like a prep trip that we're going to go out. Uh, you know, our brother Damon and I, we were there, and we took one of this, our other brothers from, um, you know, our partner church. <laughs> incredible brother, Manoj. I mean, it's incredible how fast he learns things about on the reser- reservation. It's unbelievable watching him. And the first half of our day, we're meeting these other pastors and just what the Holy Spirit, it was super exciting. What they were offering us, it was like they're offering us more than we could even ask. Do you want to use this room? Do you want to use our van? You want to use this? Oh, we could do this? I mean, just more than we even thought we could have. But at the latter portion of the day, we met with um, some, a couple young people whom we've known for a long time. And, um, and, uh, these two teenage girls um, were taken away from their mother by CPS because their mother um, got depressed and kind of fell off the wagon and went, and went towards her. She basically just left and didn't come back. And they ended up with their other relatives, but their other relatives are like, oh, I don't know if I could you know, keep, keep you. And then they have two other Younger siblings, too. So the first half of the day was unbelievably, was just unbelievable. It was, like, so exciting. And the latter portion of the day, the three of us are in our car, just silent. <laughs> silent. And like, we want to love these young teenagers. And we want to love even her mother who's failing. And here's this question. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Man, it's a gut check. That's a serious, very, very serious gut check. And I'm thinking about this. I'm like, tomorrow I'm going to talk about agape, believes all, bears all things. Holiness bears all things. So, brothers and sisters, I want to say this to you. What do you really, really want in life? You want the tongues of Spanish and of angels. You want gold medal. You want the promotion. You want the great school. You want the popularity and the fame. And that's going to give your, that's going to make your life so happy, right? Or can you actually believe that if you do not have holiness, if you do not have holy love, if you don't actually have love that has the power to bear all things, endure all things, and that love can actually be imperishable, undefiled. It will not end. It will not fail. Do you want that? That's, that's the thing I want to ask of you. Is that, isn't that what you actually really, really, if you really think about this, like you really just not just react, but if you really think about it, you're like, wait a second, you know, if, we just, if I just get a middling career, and we never own a house. And, you know, our kids turn out pretty good. But when I'm 80 years old, man, my wife's love for me, it, it's not even not ending. It's bigger. It's better. It's deeper. Our phileo is better. Our eros is still great. And the agape is overflowing. C.S. Lewis says agape is, that's the divine love. And you know what the divine love is? It's holiness. That's what it is. It's holiness. That is what is ours. Born again through the resurrected King Jesus. Born again in Him. Imperishable. Undefiled. And unfading. Is it possible to actually have a love like that? And what I'm saying to you is the Bible is saying, yes, that's yours. That can be yours. Through being united, through the resurrection humanity arising you through Jesus. Now let's close out this series and um, this this message. I I entitled part three, The Beautiful Face-to-Face Forever. And um, there is this portion that I'd like to explain to you that some of you, if you've ever heard this passage or like maybe you've thought about it, you're like, what does that mean? What I'm going to try to do is try to explain to you what this seemingly mysterious little portion means, okay? 
So toward the back, it says this, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So here's what it means. If you want the tongues of angels, if you want the powers to be able to like move mountains, you want gifts and talent and accomplishments, and, but you don't actually care about agape, divine, holy love, that's, that's always just some side dish or like that's optional. So that if you can get to all of the success and all of the gifts and all of the talents, all of the money and all of the fame and all of the comforts that our world, our city, this modern day Corinth loves, but you don't have, you don't have the love, you don't have agape, you don't have holiness, then you're a child. That's what the passage is saying. You're a child. You think like a child, you reason like a child. This is a not a nice passage. It's a punch in the head. But then it says this. Oh, my goodness. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we see through a, sometimes the old verses through a glass dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What does this mean? And I want to close this series out. I'm going to take you through a really important piece of biblical theology. That's what this passage is talking about. So I'm going to like break down through some biblical theology for you, okay? Genesis chapter 1. God makes this, this, this. Not. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's very good. Everything's so glorious and beautiful. It's like God is the most unbelievable artist. Then he makes... He makes he makes man and woman. It's very good. You get to Genesis chapter 2. He, he says, okay, it's not good that you're alone. And I'm going to make you in my image so that you can love each other the way I love agape love. But then Genesis chapter 3 comes along, and we choose not God. We choose Sin over God. That's what sin is, choosing something else over God. It's like choosing gifts and talents over love. It's like choosing gifts and talents and achievements over holiness. So that's, and then everything kind of just like unfurls and curse comes into the world and, and things unravel. So here's the first thing that happens right after that. So you have, it, there's this incredible verse toward the end of chapter 2. It says, Adam and Eve were naked, but they were not ashamed. That's what it says. They were naked and not ashamed. In other words, when they knew each other, it's, it's such a profound text. They could fully see in each other. They would know everything in each other. And they would have love, which does not end. So that's the opening. But then right after it falls, you know the first thing they do? They hide. They hide and run away from each other. And then they hide and run away from God. And then their nakedness, what they do is then they got to cover themselves up. So what they do is they find these fig leaves and they cover themselves up and they cover themselves up from each other and from God. And then when God comes out, he's like, where are you? Oh, where are you? And it says, uh, we are, um, we're, we're hiding because we are naked. You know what God says? Who said you were naked? Did you, um, <clears throat> you know, like eat the wrong fruit? And of course, he knows that he did. So that's just the beginning. And you think, well, that's just a really nice, interesting mythological me metaphor. Oh, it's not just an interesting mythological metaphor. You and I wake up every day. You meet other people. You know what you want? You want them to see you utterly naked all the way down to the bottom of your soul and to your heart. And then they want, you want them to do this. You want love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And they'll love you in a way that will never, ever end. It will not fade. 
It will not perish. That's what we all want. But you know what we do? We hide. We cover up. And this, this, this whole picture of face to face, face to face. The, in the Bible's vision, your face, so it's, it's, a, it's a really, <laughs> your face is actually the expression of your heart. I don't know if you've ever liked it. I, uh, when I first kind of learned this biblical theology, that's really, really interesting. And then I found that these really interesting things. That Do you know that if you have a fake smile and if you have a real smile, your face doesn't even use the same muscles? That in order to do a real smile, it actually takes more muscles. And so if you have a real joy in your heart and then there's real laughter and a real smile, your face will glow with the real joy. But if it's a fake smile, it's actually like, it's, and they're very perceptive people. They're like, hey, it's not authentic. And so even this, we show our face to each other, and then we show a fake face. It's like we're hiding, and we cover ourselves with fig leaves. And we're afraid that if you see my full face, then you'll see me into the depths of my heart. And then if you see me into the depths of my heart, you will see, you'll, there's no way you will love me. There's no way you'll love me. So, I'm going to take you to another passage in the Bible. I'm going to take you to two more passages, and then I'll finally get to this. There's a really important passage in Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah is like swept up to heaven. He goes before God, sitting before the God. And all these, all, there's like, it's like there's a whole host of before the throne of God. And you know what they're saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then you know what his reaction is? Oh my goodness, I'm going to die. <laughs> That's his reaction. <laughs> he says, Ah, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for I've seen the King, the Holy One. And I'm going to die. Because I'm so wretched, who could love this? He's not going to love me. He's going to kill me. And when I know what this is, who I am before that gloriousness I deserve to be gone. That's what happens in Isaiah chapter 6. But you know what? Even if you're not religious, every day you and I, God, we, we won't even do this in front of other people. You ever met somebody who is so good? So good. Who's so humble. Whose integrity is so tremendous there's not that many people i've met who are like but there's a few but you know, when i meet them they're always like even like even almost nervous because if they get to know me they're going to be like this dude's a pastor <laughs> it's like that and we're like that with just the guy who goes up to the girl she's like the prettiest girl in the room and he's terrified <laughs> this is the same drama What's going on? The women put on a dress, and I'm going to go to a party. And if some other woman has the same dress as me, <gasps> it's like now, it's like all of like who we are inside. It's like it just comes out in the horror of our face. Now let me close this message in the series this way. I'm going to give you a very, very famous passage, and then we'll close by talking about this, okay, from the gospel. So I asked our brother show this. Let's see. This is Numbers chapter 6. And if you've been in our church, you've heard this many, many times. It's a special benediction. It's a priestly benediction that God commands um, Aaron, who's the priest, to give over his people. And it goes like this. Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord, this is his, his covenanted name, his revealed name. Yahweh bless you. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face. May he make his face. 
May he make the absolute opening and revelation of the depths of his heart shine upon you and then be gracious to you. May the Lord, Yahweh, lift up his countenance, all that is glorious of his face, that's what countenance means, upon you and give you shalom. And what shalom means is not just peace. It's like everything that you would long, will long for. It's everything that your heart longs for would overflow and you'll be utterly fulfilled and flourishing. When his face finally shines upon you this way, may you, your heart, overflow with the deepest joy, overflowing shalom. That's what the Bible says. Now let me read this again, and then we'll close. All right? For now we see through a glass dimly. We're looking in the mirror. It's like the world is like a glass. You're looking into the world, like the, and, and you barely can see it. You can barely make out what's real. But then we will see it face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. And you know what we're talking about here? There's going to be one. We're finally going to go up to God. And we will get to see His face. And when you go before His face, it is the most important face that will ever come upon you. And will you go up to God and you'll be terrified like Isaiah chapter 6. Will you walk through the world with like putting on some kind of phony like covering of all the time because you're just afraid of even other people, let alone God? Hmm. Or can you go up to him and say, come, shine your face on me and know me all the way down as I'm fully known? And then when I see your face and see that your absolutely most glorious face will shine upon me, know me, and love me, then I'll have shalom. So God knew that this is, this is like at the center of who we are because we hide, because we're so afraid, because we are we're run away from each other. This is why we cannot have love. This is why we actually even prefer gifts and talents and all these other things over love. If I just have this, that would be enough. We actually choose less than love. Because it's no, no way. If, you'll get, if I'll take you to Shalom, you need to be, I'll see you all the way down. And you must trust that my face will turn to you. And you will know that I love you all the way down with a love that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is a love that will bear all things for you. It will bear and believe in you all the way. It will hope for you in all things. It will endure all things. My love for you, when my face turns, you will know my love for you. It will never, ever, ever end. And the only way you can ever get to know that is then because you will know that in the face of Jesus Christ, we have God this way. He came to say, it's like God sent his face into the world. And you know what his face was? It's Jesus. And Jesus came into the world not to condemn, but to redeem. At the most deepest place we redeemed, in this place where we cannot love, where we choose all things besides true holiness and love, he came so that everything that is so horrid in us, everything that knows that, like Isaiah chapter 6, I, desi- I deserve to die, he will say, all of that will be washed away on the cross. And his face will gaze upon you, and you will know that God loves you with holy love that bears all things and will never end. When you can have that love and come to you, that's when you can begin to give that to your son, to your coworker, to the mother 
of these children who's profoundly failing and leave them like orphans. To your husband, when he's being a horrible friend, a terrible lover for six months, eight months, ten months, when agape has washed over you through Jesus Christ, this can be yours. Would you believe this? Would you choose this? Would you seek this? Would you desire this above all things? Desire this above all things. Don't reason like a child, but reason like a man, like the heavenly man. Jesus Christ, agape for you. Let's pray. So lost, just like Adam and Eve, running away. We hide from each other. We hide from you. We tremendously do not know how to love, and we pick all things besides you. How to such a wretched and terrible people, how could you love us this way, Father? How could you turn your face toward us through Jesus? How could the everlasting, forever and forever, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading love of your heart come upon us through the grace of Jesus? And help us to believe this and receive this. And then when we forget and turn away to our fake and dumb idols and think like a child and reason like a child again, help us to come to you and be loved by you. To, be, to have your holiness wash over us so that we can become whole and have shalom. If there's anybody here, Lord, who does not know you, never accepted this tremendous, unfailing love, I pray that today they would say, God, today, I, I, I don't even know how to start, but would you accept me through Jesus? If there's anybody here today who's been a Christian for five years or 10 years or 20 years, and they have yet, for all their life, they've always thought like a child and reasoned like a child and chosen gifts over holiness. I pray today would be a new day that we will go to the table of the Lord and we will eat holiness by grace. We will know that through Jesus Christ we have, we see dimly but we will see face to face and shalom is ours forever. So help us to believe that by faith and to receive it by grace and to live unto holiness now and forever. Help us to have that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that this is ours and nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen.